0: Thank you, Maureen. Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We do have the two different invitations for the fall. It's Find Grace at Grace Baptist Church, and it's a beautiful fall image. So we have an invite card, and then there's also a gospel tract. Let's make sure we get these out. And, um, Wade, let's make sure that these Find Grace invite cards are included in what we hand out at Trunk or Treat. All right, Acts chapter 5, this is an amazingly sober account, and as we look at it, I know that often we come to church, and it's just what we do, we're at church, and the preacher stands up and talks, and... We listen, and we try and get some stuff, and, and then we leave. Um, I don't know if I'll ever preach a more important sermon than this one. And I don't think I can do it justice. But, but we're going to try. So I really want you to give your attention to the text, And to the preaching today. Because this is a serious deal. Look at uh, Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias. With Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it. And bought and brought a certain part. And laid it at the apostles feet. But Peter and Ananias. But Peter said, Ananias, look at this question. Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart, that thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God? And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. And she fell down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. Lord, what a sobering account. And I know this passage has caused concern and confusion, but you put it here in this place so that we would know what you think about sin. So, Father, help us to understand this text well today. Lord, help us to take this home. Help us to remember it in Jesus' name. Amen. John Phillips, and I'll quote Phillips quite a bit today, his his message on this was very moving to me. He said, the butts in the Bible are the hinges on which great doors swing. They always mark a decisive change in the story. Thus far, the church had been marching forward in victory. Satan was unable to conquer it, so next he tried to corrupt it. They had just had a great victory. Remember that Peter has healed the, the lame man. It's been presented in the temple. He's had the opportunity to preach. He's had the opportunity to defend Christ before the Sanhedrin. They've been told not to preach. They went and preached anyway. And they went home. They were released because the people, the leaders were afraid of the, of the people and so they they pray and they celebrate, and the people are so excited that they begin helping one another, and they they have a an amazing unity, and they're giving together. And then we're introduced to Barnabas, the the who, whose name was actually Joseph, but but the apostles called him Barnabas, which that's a Hebrew name that means the son of consolation. He was such an encourager and such a help that they actually gave him a nickname. And he brings, sells everything and brings it and lays it at the apostles' feet. There's three different sets of feet that are identified in this text. They laid their possessions at the apostles' feet. Ananias drops dead at Peter's feet. And then she's told, Sapphira is told, that the feet of them that carried your husband out, now they're coming for you there's no way to make this a happy message. It's very serious. And you know, there are people that want to reject God because of things like this in the Bible. These are people who do not understand the seriousness of sin and the amazing grace that God has given to us. Satan was unable to conquer the church, so next he tried to corrupt it. He used that tactic with Balaam and with Achan. He used it on Samson, on David, and on Solomon. He used it again with devastating results when Constantine embraced Christianity and made it the state religion. Satan is a corrupter. And so, at a time of great victory, at the beginning of the church, remember this series is called The Beginning of Our Story. As a matter of fact, the first mention of the word church in the book of Acts is in this account. Look at what it says in verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church. That's the first mention of church. How many of you have heard that passage? You're familiar with it. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Do you know that passage? Isn't that a wonderful passage? But it's on church discipline. The, The context of that, where Jesus there is during church discipline. The Holy Spirit was present here during church discipline. Now, I want you to notice something. The church did not kill Ananias and Sapphira. The church does not kill. But God does. And he did. I want us... So kind of my, my structure this morning is I want us to just, just take a, a, an overview. Just take a look at this account. And then I want you to see the contrast between what the church was doing, what Barnabas was doing, and what Ananias and Sapphira did, and what God thought about it. And then I want us to look at the root of all of it. So first, I want you to notice the seriousness and the violence. The seriousness and the violence. The, the way that the story is told, I want you to notice the matter-of-factness of it. You, you have, do you know, God doesn't make any excuses here. Peter doesn't try to explain it. Luke doesn't, who wrote it, doesn't try to explain it. They just give the account of what these people did, what Peter said to them, and what God did. That's the account. So notice the matter-of-factness, but also notice the mercy and grace of God that they had an opportunity to change. Look at what it says in verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So from the time they sold the property to the time they laid it at the apostles' feet, they had the opportunity to change. And even when they laid it at the apostles' feet, they could have said, this is only part of it. We needed the rest of the money for a reason. The Bible doesn't give us any reason why they had it, other than that they held part of it back. It does look like, in comparison to Barnabas, they saw that Barnabas was called the son of consolation. He received adulation because of what he did, and they wanted to, it appears, they wanted to get in on that. They wanted to get in on the praise without the complete sacrifice. And yet, they were never required to give all of it in the first place. their opportunity to change. Look at verse 4. Whilst it remained, was it not not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Nobody was requiring you to do this. The matter of factness, the opportunity to change. But notice the indictment, chapter 5. I'm sorry, verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down. But verse 4, the indictment, look at what it says. We need to back up to verse 3. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Middle of verse 4. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. It's interesting. The influence of Satan is no excuse. Satan filled his heart. Just as Satan filled Judas, Satan had filled his heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. And yet, he is accountable and responsible for it. Do you see that? The devil made me do it is no answer. Satan filled his heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. Listen to this. Sin is always serious. However, its seriousness is always in proportion to the dignity of the the person against whom the sin is committed. It is a serious matter to tell a lie. It is more serious to tell a lie to a judge it is serious beyond words to lie to God. And so, wh- what what's my job today as I communicate this text? My job is to, to tell this story and then ask you some questions. Are you lying to God today? It could be about money. This is about money. It's also about hypocrisy. Wouldn't you agree? It's it's about... They wanted to look like something that they weren't. They, they wanted glory and adulation. And they did it cavalierly. They, they, they did it happily. What about you? Are you serious about God? Are you serious about the Lord's work? The church provides us so much the fellowship, the comfort, the beauty of the room. It's a pleasant place to be, especially if you like to be cold. The the friendships, the quality of the people. The cleanness of the people, not not that you took a bath, but that you don't violate your conscience by being around the people. There's a lot of benefit to being here. And I like it. There are some Sundays when I don't want to come to church, when there's trouble and other things. Today was one of them. But I love being here. I love being with God's people. There's there's a tangible benefit to this. Some of you have gotten jobs, better jobs, because you come to this church. Amen? There are benefits that God has given us. The structure of the church gives benefits, and we want that in our lives. And I want you to have it. I tell you young people all the time, I want you to have the life that I have and I have all of this life because of Grace Baptist Church. Everything I have is because of Grace Baptist Church. I want you guys to have that kind of life. But I don't want you to lie to get it. Deception was at the root of Ananias's sin. Philip said, the idiom of Satan's language is the lie. Deception, his stock in trade. This first attack on the church from within was in keeping with his character and method. The way that Satan destroys is always by deception and lie. And so, I mentioned a few weeks ago, I've got a pastor friend who had a co-pastor who molested a child. Well, do you realize how many lies that man had to tell to get into that place? How many times he had to stand before God's people and present himself as something that he is not? How many of you think that that's repulsive and disgusting? How many of us come to church? Now, we're not going to mess with a child, but we come to church. And we present ourselves as something that we are not so that we can fit in. Have you ever heard this? You invite somebody to church. I don't want to go to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. Have you ever heard that? And I, I heard a great illustration that would help. That in, I think it was World War II. I, I don't remember what war. But there was a, a, a sub that had a, a defect and it was sitting on the, the bottom of the ocean. And another sub was able to come and they joined the two together And they were able to climb out of the the bad sub into the good sub. Can you imagine if somebody said, I'm not going to go up there. There's hypocrites in that sub. How many of you think that'd be dumb? Right? So that's always the explanation that I've used when people say there are hypocrites in the church. And come on, how many of you know there's hypocrites in the church? Okay, let's be real honest. How many of you have been the hypocrite? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. See, mine's up right here been lots of times I've stood up here to preach and I know I've got to communicate what the Bible says, but I know in my heart I'm not in line with that. It's a terrible place to be. And I can promise you this as a pastor, if you stay in that place, you will have no power in preaching. God will reveal that. And yet, I think it's probably impossible for a man to stand behind the pulpit and preach everything that's in this while being perfectly in line with it. Not making an excuse for sin. You'll see as I get through this message that that would be the height of hypocrisy if I did that. I'm just telling you, you young people, I'm going to do everything I can to live out what I preach right here. But you need to know I'm just a man. This will always be your authority. This will always be your truth. And yet, the people that you look around, you ought to be able to trust everyone in this room. And all of us ought to be able to look at our neighbor here in this room, or those that are not here today, and say, yes, we're not perfect, but we are desiring to move in the direction of holiness and righteousness. And we are speaking with one mind and one voice. And we love the Lord and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're praying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But notice the indictment, and then notice the death. Look at what it says. Verse 4. Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men but unto God. Those are the last words Ananias ever heard. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He dropped dead. Well, that's awful. So if I commit money to five by faith and don't give it, is God going to kill me? think so. Can I say no? Can I say yes? I know somebody somebody out there is thinking, I knew he'd use this as an excuse to talk about money. Will you all help me here? What did Ananias hold back? What did God do? I I can't explain away the text. Was he required to give all of the money from the land? Was he required to do that? Were you required to give extra money to the building fund? Holy Spirit acted swiftly. Phillips pointed this out, and I read many commentaries on this. I've actually dreaded preaching this text for about a month, so I read a lot about it. I want, I asked some pastors while I was at the at the certainty conference. I, I sat with a couple of pastors, um, Sam Miles and um, Alan Shelby, and. Talk to them about this passage. How would you preach this? Alan Shelby made a great statement. I've actually got it as the last line in my notes. He said, um, I would rather die for God than by God. Notice the response. Look at what happened. Verse 5, And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. Look at the result. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. I wonder how many of them had held some money back. Regardless, Can you imagine if we were in a church business meeting? And I said, Ty, stand up. No, you don't have to stand up. And identified some sin. And he dropped dead. Now, how many of you are thankful I don't have that power? Please raise your hand. You need to be thankful that I don't have this power. Got a few of you on my list right now. How many of you think are thankful that this is not the norm? Why does God do this? He did it at the beginning. Adam and Eve told them, don't, don't eat the fruit. The day you eat there, you'll surely die. They, they ate the fruit, and they died. God, we've looked at it recently, he wiped out the whole world in Genesis with the flood. Achan, when he kept some things that he wasn't to keep, God God killed him. There was another time with Korah and these that were coming against Moses where God had the earth open up and swallow them. Can you even imagine? But he doesn't do that every time. He, He doesn't always do that. Again, Phillips, he said this, It is a good thing God does not so smite every case. God exercises patience and grace in the face of much human sin. However, from time to time, he makes a summary example to remind us that he is holy. Most of us have some of Ananias about us. The desire to be thought better or more holy or more spiritual than we really are. But I want you to notice this, and this is so so important. Will all of you husbands stand up? Every husband in this room, won't you stand up? And I'm standing with you. We're a we're a man led church because we believe that that's God's plan, Amen. But we're also a man accountable, church. See, you set the direction for your home. You set the direction for your finances. You set the direction for the integrity that you have at home. So You can be seated. I want you to see this. Chapter 5 and verse 1 But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. So it's Ananias with Sapphira and kept back part of the price, the wife also being privy to it. The wife hadn't made the decision, she knew about the decision. Do you see that? She knew what was going on. But a little bit more than that, go down to verse 7. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Can you imagine when she walked in and the other people that were there? She didn't know he was dead. And look at look at what happens. Verse 8. And Peter, so, so in the middle of verse 7, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Then Peter answered her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. She said, Yea, for so much. She has lied. No hesitation. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? They agreed together. He should have led her better. Amen? And she should have said, You may do this but I'm not going to do it with you. You're the head. You make the decision with the family for the family, but I'm going to tell the Lord. It's not my heart to do this, but she agreed. They agreed together. Just like the first family, Adam and Eve, Eve ate the fruit. Adam wanted to join. It's the opposite of this, and Satan deceived, and Satan brought death. Men, the decisions we make for our families can have life and death consequences. And if you guys had my job, you would hate sin more. But when I get the phone call, pastor, and The situation has told me, whether it's at our church or from churches around the country, I got one of these calls yesterday. Men, we have a responsibility to be right. Because look at the result. Look at the result for his wife. Verse 9, Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. I want you to think about the consequences of this. Can you imagine those young men who had to do that? I remember watching Jacob when uh, he was young and we had a cat named Smokey and Smokey died. And it fell to Jacob to carry Smoky out to the woods and bury Smokey. Well, that doesn't sound like much. It might even sound a little funny. I think the best name for a cat is Target. Um, but we loved Smokey. Laura hated him. The rest of us, we loved Smokey. And that was a, kind of a traumatic thing. He had dug a hole. It was raining. He slipped and fell in the hole. And, horrible. Horrible. Some of you have experienced something like that. But now imagine if the place where you come to worship, God killed somebody and it's your responsibility to carry them out. You knew them. This is a small church. You knew him. Don't go home yet. There's more. Devastating results. You hate sin. There was no child molestation here. There was no murder. They just lied to God. Notice the description. Oh, by the way, Sapphira's name meant beautiful. Her beauty didn't help. But what had they done? They had agreed together. Look at the way it says it in verse 9. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? We are not to put God to the test. Now, he does say, try me and see if I won't meet your needs. That's not what this is. Remember when your parents would say, you're trying my patience? What does that mean? You're you're testing how far my patience will go. We're not to put God to the test, nor must we put the Holy Spirit in a position where His wisdom and power are at war with His mercy and grace. So I want you to also notice the two groups that are affected by this. Verse 11, And great fear came upon all the church. Again, that's the first time the church is mentioned. And upon as many as heard these things. So not only did it affect the church, but it also affected the people without. Look at verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. So there it is again, same place where Peter had preached, same place where the the man had been healed. But look at what it says in verse 13. And the rest, and of the rest, durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them. Who are these people that didn't want to join? If I have to actually be real, I'm not going because God might kill me. God cared about the purity of his church so much that he let people hear about this. We've done church discipline here before for immorality because the Bible tells us to. Amen. And when we do that, we do that to make sure that our church is pure, that the testimony without remains that we are holy, but also to warn Christians. That's not going to fly here. That's not going to fly here. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you think, as, as pastor, that that's fun? That this might sound a little woe as me. I don't intend it to, but I want you to think about something. How many of you think it was easy last Sunday with Roman Catholics in the room to be that clear about the enemies of the gospel? Do you think that's easy? Do you think that the enemies of the gospel will praise Grace Baptist Church for that? Their opinion doesn't matter. His opinion matters. This is why we have to be a holy church. Because when we take a stand for truth and we take a stand for righteousness and we take a stand for holiness, there are two groups of people that will hate it. The haters of God... And the haters of holiness, the people that want to have sin in their own homes. I remember I preached on modesty one time and um, talking about how, how men are different than women. Men are attracted by sight. Women, it's a different situation. And I, I was talking about women wearing clothing that accentuates their body and causes other men to sin. And these people don't come to our church anymore, but one of them said, well, this man said, well, I like men to look at my wife. So do you think that man wanted me to communicate the biblical position on, on, on women's modesty and shamefacedness and holiness? Do you think he wanted me to communicate the biblical view on that? And so we have to understand that within the body of Christ, in general, every saved person, and within the local assembly, there will always be people that will say this. I know the Bible says that, but I think. Do you know what that is? That's rebellion. Notice I didn't say, I know the pastor says, but I think. You are welcome to disagree with me. You'll probably be right if you do. You are not welcome to disagree with this. If you are disagreeing, if you do disagree with this, and you come here and you put on the face, and you how are you doing? How's your walk with the Lord? Oh, it's great. God would be justified to kill you. Would he be? Two groups affected by the sin. The church and those who heard these things. I want you to notice the contrast here. So look at chapter 4 and verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart. And of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need, and Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of Consolation, a Levite, and of the county country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet, but a certain man named Ananias. You see the contrast? What was his character? The Bible says... Speaking of Barnabas in Acts eleven twenty four, 24, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. What's the result of that? Acts eleven twenty four 24b, and much people was added unto the Lord. That's, that's the kind of man Barnabas was. And that's why he's called the son of consolation. But then we have Ananias and Sapphira. So again, note the similarity at the beginning, the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, the beginning of the church, first mentioned in verse 11. And notice the devastation. Never forget that God killed them because of their sin, and God has not changed. Herbert Lockyer said this in his book, All the Doctrines of the Bible. I want you to notice the reason he killed them, it's because of sin. Lockyer said this, a right concept of sin is therefore imperative. For if man errs here, he errs everywhere. If he does not have scriptural views of sin's nature, he will not have scriptural views of sin's remedy. Men's estimation of sin differs considerably. What is sin to one is not sin to another. But to accept the Bible's verdict on sin is to accept the Bible's provision of salvation from sin by a righteous and holy Savior. See, the message of the Bible is ruined by the fall and redemption by the blood, and so we have to understand what the Bible says about sin. the, the doctrine is called hamartiology. It's the it, it's a study of sin, and the Bible the Bible is very clear about what sin is, and and I I feel like in this laodicean age. We are so accepting of sin and so accepting of a lie. And we make excuses for immorality and for immoral behavior. We make excuses for covetousness. We make excuses for envy. We make excuses for resentment. And we can start to have factions and friction and struggle because we're not being truthful and honest. And we forget that we're all just sinners Saved by grace, striving for holiness, gathering together in a place because we need help. Because there's a lost and dying world out there and we need these young people to have a safe place to come. What does the Bible say about sin? Sin's a lie. Remember Satan, his first words are hath God said. The Bible uses 10 different root words that have basis in lie. To connect it to sin. Lying is a big deal. That's what Ananias and Sapphira did. And honestly, it was pretty small. Wouldn't you all agree it's kind of a small lie? Not only is sin a lie, sin is a delusion. Sin is naturally treacherous. It's full of guile and that by which man is cruelly betrayed. Herbert Lockyer said, Sin offers itself as a friend, then becomes a fiend. Isn't that just the, the way a young person can say, My parents don't want me to drink, and I'm going I'm to start drinking, and the next thing you know, you've got a, a young person that's an alcoholic. their Life is destroyed. Or, or even if they're not an alcoholic, they, they get drunk and they kill somebody in their car, or they ruin their own life by being crippled, mangled. Or they, they start by taking an illegal substance or even a legal substance, and, and they, they, it gets control of them, and it, it ruins their life. And it begins because it feels good at the beginning, and then it destroys you. It's a delusion. Sin is a delusion. That, that girl at the office, men, that girl that, that seems to be pretty, she's always put together, And you, you, that's a lie. Because as soon as you get together with her, all of a sudden she's the same at home as your wife is. She's just another person. And the only thing about the, about it that was good for you, that you felt was good, was the conquest and the, the sneaking and all of that. And it brings destruction. Your children hate you. Your church doesn't trust you. And you, it destroys. Do you see what sin does? Can begin with just a little flirtation. And end up in absolute devastation. Kids that don't want to serve God because dad is a liar. Sin is darkness. John 1, 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. First John 1, 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John three nineteen And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. John three twenty. 20, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. Ephesians 5, 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Sin's a lie. Sin is a delusion. Sin is destructive, but sin is separation. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Sin brings separation from God. But sin is also perversion. Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Proverbs 15, 26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. And then Look with me at 2 Timothy, keep your place in Acts, but look at 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, look at verse 24. You know, what, let's start reading in verse 9, or 19, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 2 and verse 19 Nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal the Lord knoweth them that are his and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity How many of you name the name of Christ raise your hand you're a Christian depart from iniquity But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver but also of wood and of earth and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with all them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes, And the servant of the Lord must not strife, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will, sin is slavery. God wants us to be free from it. But then, as we see in our text, go back to Acts 5. Sin brings death. Why would God kill Ananias and Sapphira for such a seemingly small error? Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Why did God kill Ananias and Sapphira? Because they lied. How many of you have lied? How many of you are thankful he didn't kill you? He would have been justified in doing so. This is grace. This is what grace is. We know Revelation twenty one eight. but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable, murderers and sorcerers and idolaters, whoremongers, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Sin is separation. It separates us from God. But Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we don't have to pay that penalty. You know what's interesting? I don't know whether Ananias and Sapphira were born again or not. Satan filled his heart. How does that work with a saved person? I don't know. But the Bible says in 1 John, there's a sin that is not unto death, which means there's a sin that is unto death. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do anything other than consider what is your attitude towards sin? What is your attitude toward your own sin? See, it's real easy for me to identify Laura's sin. Or to identify Bill's sin. man, did you hear what Bill did? I can't believe a Christian would do that. When we ought to say, "O oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from the body of this death? be honest. How many of you have kind of struggled with the Ananias and Sapphira account? Be honest. How many of you that you have thought about that and it's, it's disturbing? Good. Remember, when you read a story, you need to read yourself as the villain, not the hero. Because I know in my own heart, I've misrepresented who I am. To God's people. I don't want to do that. I want to be a man of integrity. I want us to have a church that's holy. The next time you think about lying about something, remember Ananias and Sapphira. The next time you think about holding something back that you've committed to the Lord. Remember Ananias and Sapphira. Has God changed? Church, would you say it out loud for me? Has God changed? Lord, I really do believe this is one of the most important sermons I'll ever preach.